Again, I want to welcome those of you who are visiting with us and invite you to attend the pastor's class in the hour that follows. If you'll simply go down to the Welcome Center, you'll find the uh, Frederick Room just to the left of that Welcome Center, and it is there that the pastor's class meets. Let me ask you to open your Bibles. I'm going to read a, a scriptures a little different from what is uh, printed than those that are printed in the bulletin. First turn to John chapter 12, if you would please. John chapter 12. It is following the triumphal entry and prior to the celebration of the Lord's Supper that uh, Jesus in John chapter 12 and verse 23 states the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now drop down to verse 27, where Jesus where we now listen as Jesus prays. And it is a rather sobering prayer. Verse 27 of John 12, Jesus prays, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now please turn to John 17 as we continue in our study of our Lord's prayer, his high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, the words of John 13 through 16, when he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Father, illuminate our minds and our hearts. May the Holy Spirit give us ears to hear um, hearts to believe and the minds that we need to understand the revelation of your truth. May it encourage us, may it comfort us, may it challenge us, and may it be for us that, that old, old story of your justice and of your love. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 
I know what it is to be deeply troubled by the circumstances of my life or the lives of others or even of our world. Almost always what troubles me are the consequences of my sin or the sins of others or of the painful realities that come into all of our lives because we live in a sin-scarred world. All of us, all of you, we all know such moments, such moments of trouble. So did Jesus. So did Jesus. He's the God-man, fully God, fully man. And as fully man, he knew troubles. Look here at John 12, verses 27 and 28, which I've just read for you. We've listened as Jesus, 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 as he prays, he cries out to his Father, Now is my soul troubled. Of course, unlike you and me, Jesus isn't troubled because of his sin. He has no sin. But he is troubled by sin. He is troubled by sin's hold upon his creation. He's, he's troubled by sin's corrupting impact upon the lives of those created by him and for him. He's troubled. He is troubled. He is troubled because he knows what awaits him as the hour fast approaches the hour of his betrayal, of his arrest, of his trial, of his torture, and of his crucifixion. The liberals wrestle with the fact that Jesus is fully God. As I've said many times, I think we who are evangelicals, we wrestle with the fact that he was fully man. Don't minimize Jesus' emotions here in John chapter 12. His agony. Just do a word study on this word trouble. His agony is real. His, his struggles are genuine. His troubles, his, his struggles, they're gut-wrenching. I mean, look, look at what he prays. As he prays, he asks himself, as he prays, he, he says to himself aloud, what shall I say? This hour is approaching, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. You remember how in the garden, he will pray, Father, take from me this cup. Not once, not twice, three times. 
His struggles are genuine. His agony, it's real. His troubles are gut-wrenching. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But then very quickly, you see, he answers his own question. No. I will not ask the Father to save me from this hour. For this hour is the very purpose for which I have come. Then look in verse 28. I won't ask the Father to save me from this hour. This hour is the very purpose for which I have come. Father, glorify Your name. Glorify Your name in me and through me in this coming hour. In this coming hour, may Your name be glorified as I walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And then, from heaven, the Father answers, I have glorified it. That is, I have glorified my name. And I will glorify it again. My son, I've glorified my name by your life. And my son, I will glorify my name once more, even as you pass through this coming hour. Wow. What a passage. A passage to which we all can relate. Father, save me from this hour. If this hour be your will, Father, take me through it. And may you be glorified. Look now at John 17, where once more, of course, Jesus is praying. And once more, as we have read, in John 17, He asks the Father, in this coming hour, glorify Yourself. In this coming hour, glorify Me, O God. Glorify Me, O Father, that You might be glorified. That you might be glorified in this coming hour. That you might be glorified as I'm betrayed and arrested. As I'm falsely accused. As I'm tortured. As I'm crucified. How in the world does such horror, such absolute horror, How in the world does that glorify the Father? How in the world does that glorify the Son? They will both be glorified. 
by the events of this coming hour because all that Jesus will suffer. Now hear me. All that Jesus will suffer will display for all to see the righteousness of God's justice and the greatness of His love for all who by grace through faith embrace Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King. Which is precisely what we did this morning. We glorified the Father. We glorified the Son because of the events of this hour. We sang in the song of praise and greeting. In the last stanza, we sang that we had nothing, that we have nothing of which to boast except that His wounds paid my ransom. We glorified God. We glorified the Son. The Holy Spirit of God prompted us to give glory to the Father, to give glory to the Son because of the events of this hour. How often have we sung in glory to the triune God, amazing love. How can it be? How can it be that what? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. We sing those words. We give glory to God because He's just. We give glory to God because He's just. The penalty for sin cannot simply be overlooked. That's a good thing. We don't want to live in an arbitrary world. We don't want to live in an arbitrary world. Well, some of us do. But to live in an arbitrary world is a disaster. We want to live in the world that God created where right is right and wrong is wrong. And therefore, when we look to the cross, we celebrate God's justice. We celebrate that we live in a world of absolute right and absolute wrong and the penalty for wrong cannot simply be overlooked. The penalty for sin must be paid. And then at the same time, of course, we glorify God. We give glory to the triune God because of His amazing love. His amazing love. He humbled Himself. When's the last time you humbled yourself for anyone? He humbled Himself to become a man so that having no sin of his own he might take your sins upon himself and pay the penalty for your transgressions his justice demands 
Let the penalty for sin be paid and we tremble. But then, the Gospel. His love decrees that He pay the penalty. His justice demands the penalty be paid. His love decrees that He pay the penalty. Jesus dies as your substitute. And as He told His disciples earlier this same evening, back in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone should lay down his life for his friend. Now, look at John 17, 2. Jesus prays knowing that the Father has given him authority to grant to those whom the Father has given him to grant to them eternal life. The Father has given to the Son the authority to grant to those to whom the Father gives to the Son the gift of eternal life. What is eternal life? I think the definition that Jesus gives right here in verse 2 is not the definition that most of us would, would, would give if we were handed a blank piece of paper and I asked you write down the de- what your definition is of eternal life. <laughs> Jesus says in verse 3, in, in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to, to know Jesus Christ, to, to know the Father? Well, this is where it becomes so important that we remember as we read Scripture, we remember as much as possible to think Jewishly, to think in the light of the Hebrew Scriptures. Because often in Scripture, to know someone implies more than simple head knowledge. I mean, remember James tells us that the demons know that there is but one God and they tremble. I mean, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that unbelievers know that there is a God. But they choose to suppress and ignore whatever knowledge they might have of the one true God. So, so clearly, when Jesus says eternal life is to know the Father, it is to know the Son, clearly when Scripture speaks of believing, of, of believers knowing God because they know Jesus Christ, the knowledge is more than head knowledge. The knowledge, that this knowing, this, this knowing of God the Father, this knowing of God the Son is a knowledge given to us by God the Holy Spirit and it is a knowledge that is intimate and it is loving and it is all-consuming. In Scripture, this type of knowing describes the intimate, loving, and all-consuming relationship that exists between 
a godly husband and wife. For example, when Scripture speaks of Adam knowing Eve, it refers to the intimacy of their physical relationship. When Jesus describes eternal life, when Jesus defines eternal life as knowing God and Jesus the Christ, he is describing a deep, intimate, loving, all-consuming knowledge. Which, of course, is why Scripture teaches us that to know the Lord is to love the Lord. How? It is to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Now listen, to love someone with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is to love with a love that is all-consuming. It is to love with a love that that focuses all you are upon the object of your affection. I know it's really cool for younger boys to claim they don't like girls. I never struggled with that idea. I, I always liked girls. And I always enjoyed thinking of different girls at different times as my girlfriend even if they didn't think of me as their boyfriend. But when I met Linda and I grew to love her, she became the single focus of my deepest affection. Even more so. To know God, to know Jesus, to love Him, is to love Him with a love that far surpasses your love for anyone or anything else. So how do you know? So so how can you tell if you truly love the Lord? (laughs) You know, in our romanticized age, we would like to say, well, it's just this deep, deep feeling inside. Well, I got news for you. Feelings come and go. How do you know that you love the Lord? Jesus said what? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And furthermore, he said, if you truly know and love me, keeping my commandments will not be for you a burden. It will be for you a delight. It will be for you a delight because in knowing me, you will know that I love you. And in knowing that I love you, you know that what I ask of you will always and only be what is good and best for you. That's a wonderful place to live. That's a wonderful place to be. And obviously, you should know He loves you. If by grace through faith you've embraced Him as Savior, Lord, and King, you know that He loves you because knowing, knowing all about you, He chose to die for you. And you know that He didn't choose to die for you because you had merited, because you had earned His love. 
had an interesting time last night reading Scripture with, with Linda and my mother-in-law. Read together Psalm 105 and 106. Read those two Psalms together. I can't do it for you today, but you do that for yourself. Psalm 105 describes all the ways in which God blessed the people of Israel. Psalm 106 describes all the ways in which they sinned against him. And yet Psalm 106 ends with that he would still be merciful and gracious and loving to them. Why? Because that's what he chose to do. God obviously loves you because he has chosen to die for you. For you. For you. For me. I mean, you know how you once chose to live as you wanted to live according, uh, going your own way and doing your own thing without, without the least concern to, to live the life your Creator created you to live. By God's grace, you now understand what Paul means when in Ephesians chapter 2, he writes that once you were dead in your trespasses and sin, dead, oh yeah, yeah, I know you're alive. You were dead. I, I know. I know. There were moments when you felt wonderfully alive, when your sinful way of life afforded you short-lived moments of joy and pleasure. But even then you knew in the depths of your soul a dread, an uneasiness, a dissatisfaction, a sense that something was wrong, that something was missing. What was missing was life. What was missing was life. I mean, I know, you were alive, but as Paul writes in Romans 6, you were dead because the wages of sin is death. A living and an eternal death. A life of separation from all that is truly good. A life of separation from the fountain of life. A, a life of separation from the one by whom and for whom you were made. A life of separation from God, but then the Holy Spirit graciously changed your heart and enlightened your mind. And because of God's amazing love and His enabling grace, you passed from death to life, to an eternal life. A life lived in loving fellowship with your Creator. Savior and Lord. God loves you. For you, He died. Died as your substitute. And Scripture teaches that when He died, you died. And when He arose, you arose. You arose to life. You arose to life eternal. You arose to the best of all possible lives. You arose to live the life you were created to live. As Jesus prays here in John 17, His hour is at hand. The hour in which the Father will glorify Him. The Father will be glorified. The penalty for your sins will be paid. And Jesus will purchase for you at the cost of His shed blood 
the gift of eternal life. Greater love has no one than this. That he should lay down his life for his friend. He counts you his friend. He counts you his friend. And he has shown you his friend, his love, and continues to manifest to you his love. And therefore, knowing that he first loved you, you love him. And you eagerly desire that your life be glorifying to him and a blessing to others. I know, I know, I know, listen. I, I know experientially that there are going to be moments when your soul will be troubled. I mean, if Jesus can cry out, my soul is troubled, <laughs> there are going to be moments when your soul is troubled. Troubled as you struggle to understand the unfolding of His plan for your life. But He'll be right there with you. He promises I'll never leave you or forsake you. He promises nothing can ever separate you from my love. And He'll grant you His peace. And He will in time, in His time, He will make known to you His eternal purposes. There will be times, I know, I know experientially, there will be times when you will choose to wallow in sin. And because of his great love for you, you won't be able to stay in the mud. You'll splash around in the mud puddle but he won't let you stay there because he'll break your heart. And when he does, and you once more turn to him, confess your rebellion, ask his forgiveness, he assures you that he will once more cleanse you and restore to you the joy of your salvation. So really, I ask you this morning, I ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you love him with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind? The scripture cries out today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, by grace through faith, turn to him. Know Him. Embrace Him as Savior, Lord, and King. Receive from Him the free gift of eternal life.
and love Him. Know Him. Love Him. Love Him passionately. Love Him intimately. Love Him with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind. So that you might begin by His enabling grace to live the life, the eternal life that He created you and now recreate you to live. Let's pray. Father, teach us the wonder of your gospel. Create in us, O Lord, new hearts. Renew within us our spirit. Implant within us the seed of your love. Then use us and use us up for your glory, for the good of others, and for the blessing of the world in which we live. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.